When I think about everything we've been through together, maybe it's not the destination that matters. Maybe it's the journey. If that journey takes a little longer, so we can do something we all believe in, I can't think of any place I'd rather be, or any people I'd rather be with. To the journey. You're here. To the journey. 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 Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast for two Trek fans. Step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between of 2021. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, looking forward to pulling a discovery and leaping far into the future to avoid what's going on in the present. And we are here this week to wrap up. As I kind of hinted at the intro there, 2021 and take a look back at the year that was and maybe a little bit of a glimpse at what's coming up in 2022. Yeah, you know, looking at 2021, Cam, uh, if I did the math correctly, we got about 23 episodes of Star Trek this past year. That's about 10 hours of content, give or take, because, you know, the Lower Decks episodes, the Prodigy episodes, they're not a full hour Maybe there were some like 40-minute episodes of Discovery. So I, I, I'm kind of impressed just with the sheer content that Paramount Plus has been able to deliver. The the one drag, though, and I think we've <laughs> been kind of hinting at it, though, is that we've been feeling quite mixed on the live-action content with regards to Discovery. We got a total of uh, eight episodes between the Season 3 premiere and the first seven episodes that we are getting with season four here. What's your overall takeaway about just kind of the delivery of content uh, in 2021? It was weird. It was kind of a weird year for Star Trek on um, Paramount Plus in that when this whole thing started and they announced, you know, Discovery and then Picard, we were really thinking, oh my God, You know, the future of Star Trek is here. We're going to be back to loving these live-action Star Trek shows. That's the future. Flash forward to now, and I'm like, looking back on 2021, having really enjoyed, you know, the um, handful of episodes we saw of Prodigy, really enjoying Season 2 Lower Decks when it hits stride, and being kind of frustrated by the live-action stuff. And I'm, you know, looking forward to Picard. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that, you know, in the coming minutes. But, um... My optimism in Picard is not at an all-time high, and I just find myself kind of clinging to Strange New Worlds as the show that I have optimism about. But other than that, it seems like live-action Trek is in a little bit of a rut, and it's the animation that's really making it feel alive. Yeah, not what I expected either going into this. It's interesting, like, I... There have been moments within live-action track where I'm just like, okay, that's really cool, or that's an interesting thing to pursue. Those character moments, they work for me. But I think what we found more frustrating is just kind of the broader storytelling. A lot of it is kind of the um, the insistence on doing serialized storytelling in which the serialized stories don't really seem all that compelling, or you get to the end and you can tell that they're just kind of making it up as they go along. And, you know, it's just, it's also just a lot of writing that feels as if I'm watching a really expensive CW show. 
at, rather than somebody who has the opportunity to play within this magnificent canvas that is the Star Trek universe. And what we get instead are stories about, you know, like a really mustache twirling green villain that takes over the Discovery ship for a total of 45 minutes and loses a ship because we know that's what's going to happen at the end. I find myself watching a lot of this stuff and just being able to predict what the beats are going to be. <laughs> I didn't necessarily know that it was going to be Sakal who's the cause of the burn, <laughs> but I, I knew that they were going to resolve the mystery of the burn, no matter how uncompelling the mystery of the burn was by the end of the season. That's what I find frustrating here. Yeah, and I spend a lot of time watching Discovery primarily, and uh, gotta say, Picard season one, which was obviously not in 2021, but I spend a lot of time watching these shows and just thinking, like, I'm trying to imagine a world where the like writer's room is writing these stories and being like, we are so excited about this material. Like, I am just dying to tell the story of the burn. And there seems to be a disconnect because I have a hard time imagining they're all bored, just cranking it out joylessly. Like, I have to imagine there's like a spark of excitement in the room when they come up with these ideas. But there's something happening between when they're coming up with the ideas and when they're being shot and shown to us. There's something missing. Well, but there have been like some successes here in like what I thought they were going to do is more of what we got in one of the episodes of Star Trek Discovery, where they're trying to get the Navarre to be more willing to accept entrance into the United Federation of Planets once again. You know, that that to me is kind of one of those interesting stories about how do you draw in an old ally and how do you make people come together after a lot of distrust over so many years and so many generations. Also, just the makeup of Navarre, you know, with kind of this mix of Romulans, um, Vulcans, and, and you know, uh, uh, people that are of uh, mixed species. That's kind of the, the world in which I thought they were going to be playing around with more, but instead we get stuff with like beetles that have saws attached to their backs and are trying to get into a prison. I'm just like, what? Like, th this isn't very compelling. Like, th this isn't the sort of stuff that I really signed up for when I thought they were going to be leaping forward into the future further than we've ever seen and looking at a universe that feels a little familiar, but enough change has gone on. Instead, we're focused on things like these big stories like, what is the anomaly? What is the burn? I'm just like, well, I don't care. Like, why is this something that I should care about? Like, I, I'm more drawn into the character dynamics. And I, I think a lot of the character dynamics, they, they've suffered if they're so focused on these exposition dumps or these story beats that seem very forced and unnatural rather than kind of how people would interact normally. Well, I have a question for you. When you look back on, like, season one and two of Discovery, did it feel like the show was taking bigger swings then than it does now? In that, okay, yes. To answer your question, yes. It's like we've got this opportunity to showcase why the Klingons are mortal enemies of the Federation. We have this mutineer. We've never had a, a mutineer as your main character. Let, let's jump into the Mirror Universe for four episodes in a row. Let's go ahead and like really play with the canvas of the Star Trek uh, continuity and universe as we know, or the canon, I should say, and bring Pike, bring on Spock, bring on number one, make them like interesting characters within season two of Star Trek Discovery. It seemed as if they're really taking some swings, whereas the scale in seasons like three and four, I just... I don't know. I thought the most interesting thing maybe was uh, Giorgio's send-off, you know, and that we kind of felt differently based on the parts one and parts two as well. So that's, I don't know. Cam, you asked me the question, how do you feel about uh, the first two seasons versus seasons three and four? 
Well, I feel kind of the same. It just had popped into my mind when I was really thinking about the last two seasons of Discovery and that the first two, look, they had problems. There's issues in season one and two. And a lot of the detractors have, you know, obviously were very frustrated with those two seasons. But when I look at what they were trying to do, it just seemed there was a little more grandeur. They were trying for something major. They wanted to make very impactful um, statements about Star Trek in, you know, the year that those episodes were coming out. Like they wanted to really shift what the franchise was. And like, I, I continue to be kind of, confused about this whole shift to this future era we're in now on discovery where i mean the sky's the limit you could do a whole season just checking in with like some of these classic aliens and finding out where they are now and it could be really gripping television you know i don't know a lot about where the klingons are right now i would love to know um we have had the stuff with the var but that's kind of just the beginning that's just a tip but it feels like they kind of don't care and we haven't talked about the episode the examples yet um but you know you mentioned it there with like the beetle buzz saws and we've got like prisoners stuck in a you know on a in basically a prison system and it's like is this what we're doing like it just feels very small and unimaginative when it just it reminds me of the end of star trek 2009 an experience that you know i just really enjoyed in theaters and there was a real sense of we can do anything. We have endless storytelling opportunities now that we've kind of set this crew up. And then you get to Into Darkness and it's like, well, we're back on Earth and Khan's running around recreating moments from Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And you go like, really? <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about Star Trek Discovery Season 3 and 4. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, endless opportunities and... That's what inspired you? Confusing to me. Just so much low-hanging fruit as well. Do you remember, uh, you know, Forget Me Not, in, in which there's kind of this setup with Adira and this possession of this symbiont? And you're like, okay, so this is somebody who could also remind the Federation of these past lives uh, that uh, they've lived through and what it means to be a member of the Federation and kind of the inspiration drawn from that. Have we explored any of that at all? Like, Adira's entire, like, um, personality, or not personality, but a character, has really kind of been defined mostly by their relationship with their boyfriend, you know? There's stuff, you know, like, Adira's, like, has, like, a, a genius brain, but um, still has interpersonal um, insecurities to deal with. Like, you know, they have a personality, but I think there's so much more that they could do rather than just defining them more based on their relationship with their boyfriend. Yeah, and also defining them as their relationship to Stamets and Culberus or these makeshift parents. Um, I always really liked Star Trek episodes where they'd send a character out, you know, on an away mission or, you know, just some sort of duty-based job where you got to learn about their character through what happened to them through that story and it just feels like we don't get a lot of that we get a lot of these kind of you know small little dramas they build up that feel a little soap opery and we don't get to see the sort of character growth through exploration or through some sort of mission sort of storyline that i think can be really effective i mean you and i were i think maybe a little bit split on the tilly episode from uh you know episode four of this season with her leading the um the crew of cadets but like i like that they were at least putting her in a different type of scenario and letting us see a character do something through action which feels like something they just don't do that often well why are we enjoying say something like star trek prodigy so much more or why are we less 
frustrated with Star Trek Prodigy than we are with Star Trek Discovery so far this year. Maybe because it's only five episodes and we haven't had time to get annoyed yet. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Like, we weren't necessarily annoyed with Star Trek Discovery by episode five. So no. that's understandable. Uh, maybe the show starts to reveal its uh, seams uh, as it goes on. But for me, these are telling more like smaller scale stories with characters that seem more attached to the ongoing story. And okay, it 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 seems like less pretentious storytelling than what we're getting with Discovery. Discovery seems like very pretentious. Whereas Prodigy seems like, okay, it's a straightforward A, B, C, this is what needs to get accomplished in this episode, and let's see what this puts our characters through, how our characters can learn and develop, and how we can explore more about our characters. Whereas the Discovery stuff, it's just, it's, it's, it thinks so highly of itself, and it's not afraid to hide that from the audience. Yeah, I think of um, Prodigy storytelling as a little bit like Mandalorian storytelling, where a lot of it is sort of, um, you know, action-based, which makes sense as it, it is a kid's show after all. But um, we get glimpses of character throughout the action, and I feel like they've evolved over even just, like, five episodes. And I like hanging out with them. They're a fun group of characters. And hopefully, you know, we get some emotional payoffs as the show goes along. And it doesn't have to be this, like, operatic drama, which I think Discovery often tries to do. I think, you know, Prodigy, what it's doing is really effective adventure storytelling that's bringing out character. And I'm... I'm kind of annoyed at its release strategy of just giving us those five episodes and then going on hiatus. Yeah. Um, but I'm really hoping that by the time we get to the end of season one Prodigy, I have a really strong grasp on the show. And hopefully I'm still excited to see more. You know, jumping off of that, uh, why has Star Trek Lower Decks continued to delight you uh, this past season, Cam? I think consistency. I think that's yeah. a big part of it. There was issues with Lower Decks where you and I weren't huge fans of some of the episodes in season two it felt like coming off of the um finale of season one it felt like okay all our ducks in our, are in a row it's just gonna be home run after home run and that wasn't quite the case but it is an incredibly consistent um show in terms of its characters and in terms of its stories um some of the telling was a little off but in terms of like what i get out, out of an episode of lower decks it's very rare that when the episode's over, I go, why did I watch that? Or what were they thinking this week? It may not connect, you know, like, say, the finale of season one did, but nonetheless, I go, okay, I'm going to remember that story. And that is sometimes enough. You know, when we look at all the Star Trek shows we really enjoy, whether it's TNG, TOS, DS9, there's lots of weak episodes mixed in there. But as long as they have some sort of impact on you in a way where you at least can appreciate why that particular story was being told, I can walk away happy. And that's kind of how I feel with Lower Decks. And, and just beyond that, you can tell that the writers there are looking at the universe in which they're playing and understand that they have this amazing sandbox with which to work with and they have fun with it. And, and look, they're playing with this kind of this peak timeline, like just right after Nemesis. It's that era that people, kind of the 1990s era that people still have all that uh, nostalgia for and still romanticize in their own brains. And they have a lot of fun with that. Just even making the packleds like the big villains of the season, you know, like that was just a hoot with uh, just having the dumbest aliens possible actually be dangerous here. And I, I they'll be back in season three continuing to um, create a muck 
And I, I just, I, I like the fact that they, they seem more relaxed about it, 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 it as if they're, I, I get the sense that they're, like, the Discovery folks feel as if there's, like, this great, great burden on their shoulders to be super important um, and make sure that people know that these are tortured characters going through grief at all times. And I'm just like, okay, but is it entertaining to watch? Like, sometimes, but oftentimes it's just like, uh, it just feels like homework. And I think one of the things that Lower Decks did that was genius was the Paclids. And that's, you know, in addition to the canon, we're expanding on a species we are familiar with but hadn't done a lot with. And suddenly that show feels so fresh and exciting because of the way it's delving into Paclid mythology and expanding it, um, increasing the stakes of this relationship they have with the Federation and Starfleet. And to me, that is so much more exciting to track than the Navarre stuff, which it's fine. It's kind of where we expected we would be going ultimately with the uh, Vulcans and Romulans, but it doesn't feel like it has that sort of excitement factor. Like I don't see a lot of people online kind of geeking out about the expansion of this mythology in shows like Discovery or also on Picard. Whereas like I really, the Packlet stuff has really grabbed people. And I think it's because it feels fresh and exciting and new. Yeah, so look, I, I think we have a lot to look forward to, at least in terms of the sheer amount of minutes we'll be devouring in 2022. Coming up, we will get to the final couple episodes of Discovery. We're about halfway through the season by the time you're listening to this. We'll also get Season 2 of Picard. No word on when Season 3 will premiere, but I suspect it will be 2023. We'll also be getting Season 1 of Strange New Worlds. We'll be getting Season 3 of Lower Decks. We'll be getting a lot more Prodigy here. I, I, I'm very curious about uh, how it all stacks up the live action versus the animated stuff. I'm 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 cautiously hopeful for season two of Picard and that I hope they learned a lot of these lessons in that like maybe they shouldn't be making it up as they go along while pretending to tell the audience that there is this, this grand plan in mind from the writers' rooms. The thing is like based on the trailer that we saw, it doesn't seem as if it's going to be a story we're particularly interested in watching. So I guess you and I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we're in agreement. It's Strange New Worlds that we're pinning a lot of our hopes on going into 2022. Maybe foolishly, but yeah, Strange New Worlds is the one I'm just so excited for because it is a return to these more episodic, you know, adventure-based stories where we can go check in on different planets week to week. That to me is just very appealing. I guess it's just really selling itself to older Trek fans, which, hey, I'm an older Trek fan, I guess, so sign me up. I, with Picard, it's interesting where I was pretty down on season one Picard. Season two, I'm nervous about judging from trailers, but at the same time, what gives me a little glimmer of optimism, and I think I've said this on the show before, is that it feels like a different you know, it feels like they're really shifting things up from what the first season was. It feels like it's an entirely new type of story for season two. So, like, hopefully I can connect with that in a way that, like, I found season four Discovery kind of frustrating where it feels so much like season three. It feels like Picard, they're going to go in a different direction. So that has me optimistic because it'll just be more interesting to talk about what that season means um, in comparison to season one. Yeah. 
So the other thing we've talked a lot about is the sad state of the film franchise here. We tentatively <laughs> have a, a film coming up in 2023. Who knows? But I, I here's what I think we need to do. That If Paramount is so determined to really move forward with its streaming service and get Paramount Plus like in the homes of everybody, look, I, I don't know if a $200 million tentpole feature is really going to do it for them that's, you know, they could stream you know, years down the road. I, I, I think what they need to do is, is look at the smaller stories that they can tell within a 90-minute format and just tap a lot of the infrastructure that exists, whether you're within the Star Trek universe, which is to say you've got these sets in Toronto for Strange New Worlds for Star Trek Discovery. Why not just reuse some of those sets, you know, redecorate, redress, what have you, use some of that costuming, use a lot of the makeup, uh, the the crews, like you, you can make something kind of on the cheap. I don't know, why don't, why don't you tell a two-hour wharf movie, like it, that, that'll cost you $20 million versus like no studio is going to greenlight, uh, um, you know, Michael Dorn, who's pushing 70 to like star in his own theatrical film adventure. I think you'll get a lot of subscribers just intrigued by what Worf is up to, you know, like 20, 25 years since they last saw him. I think that's more kind of the stuff that they should be pumping out. Like, do a, do a streaming Star Trek movie every, you know, uh, you know, twice a year, like something like that. That that could be kind of more of the uh, the winning business case for Paramount Plus moving forward. And if 2021 movies have taught me anything... It's that all audiences want is nostalgia at this point. I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, that's all they want. They're like, please, nothing else. Don't give us new original. Just give us pure nostalgia and we'll be happy. And uh, I think, you know, like a Wharf movie, um, does it make sense to do a $200 million Wharf movie and open it in theaters? No. But put it on a streaming network and advertise the hell out of it? Yeah, I think that might do something. And I think you've had a lot of TNG fans who tuned in for Picard and weren't particularly happy. But I think if you had a two-hour Wharf movie, you can rope them in because they may not stick with an ongoing Picard series, but like a two-hour movie that's like an event, they're going to check it out. I, I can just picture the swelling music that they would have with a trailer that would go on and just have like Wharf like walking into some sort of Klingon Great Hall and then jumping aboard a ship. Like like they could really market that very easily in a way. And we, we've discussed before like how, you know, like a film like Star Trek Beyonds, like the marketing wasn't all that compelling. We thought it was a, a pretty solid Star Trek film, but we don't know how else you would market that to get people into the seats in theaters. Whereas I think it'd be so easy to market a war film, but if it can... Is there other low-hanging fruit for like a 90 minutes, you know, two-hour Star Trek movie where we, you know, go the nostalgia route, bring back a, a highly marketable character? Like, who do you think might also work? Well, I think the de-aged Shatner movie might work. Okay, but, um... yeah, we've talked about it over the last three weeks in a row. I'm <laughs> totally with you 100%. Yeah, and I would like to set it in his cadet days. <laughs> yes, please. That, that's the Starfleet Academy uh, spinoff that we'll be watching um, in just a few years. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, but, but, but his body is not, it's Shatner's like contemporary body, yeah. like 90-year-old Shatner's body, just his face has been de-aged, right? Well, I didn't say I wanted CG. I just wanted de-aging as in like maybe a, a wig or what have you, you know, oh, makeup. okay, okay. Yeah, yes. Just, <laughs> yeah, the wig. That's all we need <laughs> I want the equivalent of the Steve Buscemi on 30 Rock, you know, hello, hello, young people. Yes. That sort of thing. <laughs> um, it's 
tough though in terms of like something you would put on streaming that kind of milks that mythology like i would have totally have said a picard movie but obviously with the ongoing picard series that's not really as much an option and i feel like we've paid off data for example um i don't know that like it would probably be something voyager related i would think yeah voyager might bring people in i would have originally thought like seven of nine but she is on picard already so is it just kind of an admiral janeway sort of spinoff is that it i I just wonder like i i think like the hardcore fans would be totally into her but would that draw in more the casual fans like that's what i wonder yeah like i'm not so sure if it would and because like what other characters do we really have because spock is going to be on um strange new worlds so like i don't feel like there's a dearth of spock stuff around picard's kind of taken seven's kind of taken um i don't know that a lot of the ds9 characters are going to grab the kind of the numbers on a streaming network they'd hope for. It's kind of tough. And TOS people are definitely uh, not really an option at this point. So, so, well, but what what if it was a recast character? You mentioned Spock, but if it, it like, I don't know, what about those con movies that Nicholas Meyer was working on? Like, would, but is that going to be enough to draw in more of the casual fans like perhaps you know i just i think like wharf is probably the most marketable option at this point and you know and that's fine like maybe they're they don't have to do like kind of the nostalgia trip make these like 90 minute movies just playing within the universe it could be kind of these adventures that were long talked about look get james mcavoy to do a stargazer movie you know like mm, uh, yeah. as picard yet young picard McAvoy says he'd love to do it, you know, like, like that could be kind of the the um, uh, jumping off points that we're talking about. Yeah, I think that could be really fun. That would be a good idea. And I remember for um, years, people said, why don't they ever make a Klingon movie? And to me, you know, I was like, well, that's ridiculous. We're not going to make a $150 million, you know, Klingon movie and put it on the big screen. But in this world, kind of like, you know, obviously you mentioned Worf, but like you could do an actual Klingon adventure story for a streaming network and it would actually make sense financially versus, you know, uh, when I started hearing those sorts of, um, you know, demands, it was back in the nineties or two thousands where it just seemed absurd, but now it does. And I think you could do the same sort of thing. Like maybe you wouldn't do, um, you know, maybe a Spock movie now, maybe you would, I don't know, but like you could do a Vulcan movie. You could do a lot of things that are recognizable. Uh, I aquatic zindis cam will just uh, it all takes place underwater. What about a Borg origin movie? I guess fans have been like begging for it. Like, what what if it's like the inventor of the Borg? What if kind of the Borg queen as we know it is kind of a reconstruction of the original inventor of the Borg? Like, she's eventually uh, turning into a mad scientist or something. Like that 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 could be a fun thing. It's like the Prometheus of Borg stories. <laughs> I I will stand by Prometheus. I think that movie's a little underrated. That, that that's all I'll say. So uh, so Kim, we had to skip this past Vegas convention in 2021. There's just so much uncertainty for us, uh, especially we're international travelers. I I don't think we regret making that move. I think though, you and I are pretty determined to go in August of 2022. I feel as if we can navigate whatever this pandemic's going to be like by then. 
what do you think is kind of the, the future of these kinds of conventions moving forward? I, I say that knowing full well that the Vegas convention looks to be way more stacked than the official convention in Chicago coming up in April, which has, what, maybe six or seven actors tapped to appear? Something like that. Yeah, it's a very small number compared to Vegas, which... It, I mean, Vegas is expensive, but I, I would have to imagine it gives you a lot more bang for your buck than what Chicago's promising, even at a maybe a higher ticket price, because you get a lot of guests and just the hangout vibe of Vegas it by itself is so much fun. So in terms of these like sorts of events, though, there's going to be differences. Um, I think we could see, you know, the old um, plexiglass photo ops going on for a while. Um, but I think people want to get back to them. So I think as long as there's a will, there's a way. So they're going to find ways to make them happen. Uh, obviously, at the current moment we're recording this, it seems kind of nuts to be doing them. But, you know, a handful of months down the road, hopefully we start to bring them back. And I just, I think it's going to change the way that these, you know, con industries operate. But I don't think it's going to stop them. I think there's always going to be a demand by fans to go meet up with other fans, you know, see the stars of properties they really enjoy and get out their autographs and photo ops and just to have that whole experience. Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about in 2021 going into 2022, but so we got seasons three and four of Discovery all in one year. I mean, we only got one episode of season three, uh, but I, I'm curious, do you think we see Discovery season five? by the end of next year? Or do you think it's more likely that we're looking at 2023? Let's think of the programming schedule. So it's Picard is next, right? Yep. And then, and I'm not counting animation right now. I'm just talking live action. So we've got Picard, then Strange New Worlds, right? Yeah. So what, what it looks like is we'll, we'll finish up Discovery in early, uh, in early 2022, that'll get us into Picard going into the spring. Strange New Worlds will premiere spring and probably wrap up late spring, early summer. Then we'll get Star Trek Lower Decks in, uh, you know, August, September. We'll, we'll get around to October before we might be having kind of a gap, which isn't like abnormal, you know, for a, uh, a franchise, especially like, look, we're spoiled just in terms of like the sheer amount of content that's going to be coming up. So, I, I just wonder, because we haven't heard anything official yet about Season 5, unless I'm totally missing something. But the reason why we got them in such quick succession, Seasons 3, 4, is because Season 3 was delayed so much because of the pandemic. It, like, a lot of it was, like, the filming was in the can, but I think Paramount was just like, eh, let's just keep moving this uh, further down the road, not knowing what our content access is going to be like. So, I don't know, how do you envision kind of um, the future content especially with regards to the potential for a season five of Discovery? I would be surprised if we got Discovery in 2022. Yeah. I think it's, it seems more likely to me we would be getting it early into 2023. Um, Cause yeah, like they haven't announced anything yet. They haven't started shooting or it doesn't seem like they've had any plans yet. Um, and plus they just have so much this coming year that I don't think that they have to worry about it. They can kind of give it a little bit of a break um because you're going to have obviously prodigy and also lower deck stuff going so i would have to imagine in terms of their scheduling for a year they have more than enough to keep their <laughs> star trek subscribers hooked for the entire year that they don't need to also wedge in a discovery season 
So I would have to imagine we'd be looking more at that, you know, January, February, March of 2023. So a bit more of a serious question. You and I kind of touched on it uh, the other night after we went and saw The Matrix Resurrections. We, we grabbed dinner afterwards and we talked about whether or not Discovery goes beyond season five. Like we know that Picard, it looks near certainty that it will wrap after three seasons. Do you think Discovery will go beyond season five? Well, I feel like nowadays, and you are the better person to answer this in some ways, but like, I feel like with streaming shows now, like if they're not getting any buzz whatsoever, is there really that much point continuing them? Because are they really drawing people to your to your you know streaming service and Discovery at this point? You know, it's still moving along. We're in season four now. We'll probably get a season five. But, like, is there any sense nowadays to pushing them into season six and seven? Well, if you look at Netflix, it became clear after a few years that they just started canceling series after three or four seasons. And what that tells you is their algorithm is telling them that viewership does drop off after about three or four seasons. It's just not really worth pursuing it. There are some exceptions. You know, like the reason why Mad Men, or I should say that reason why that Breaking Bad kept getting exponentially bigger ratings while it was broadcasting on television, not not Netflix, but it's because people were catching up to it on Netflix and then they couldn't wait to see it. So that's why they tuned into AMC on cable. And that show ran, you know, five seasons or they had that split season, however you want to define it. And so that that's a bit of an exception. I'd also point out that The Crown, that's an exception as well. They are actually, I think they were very uh, wary of giving it a full six season order. I think they really had to be pushed into doing a season five. And then they were saying it's only going to be a season five. And then they ultimately just said, okay, we'll, we'll do six seasons. Otherwise, like, I just think that the, the streaming model dictates that you only do three or four seasons. I think that's why Picard, it makes sense as it w would only be like a, a three season series. I just, I don't see what would, what would be the reason for doing any more seasons after season five. It's just, it's just diminishing returns for this company that's put in like, just look at the, the value you see on the screen. They spend a lot of money on Discovery every single episode. So that's why I'm, I'm very skeptical we see Discovery go beyond season five. And we've seen every season has very much shaken up Michael Burnham, like her stature within the show. She's now the captain. Do you see her being captain on Discovery for like two or three more seasons? I don't. Well, before she's... Uh... <laughs> All Federation citizens do a write-in ballot and declare her president because she's just so amazing and great, as the show tells us every single episode. I mean, this character is headed towards greatness <laughs> if she hasn't already achieved it. So it's like, I don't see this like long-term you know, building of this character, just her being in a captain's chair. So I don't know that there's a particularly riveting show of Burnham as president to the Federation. <laughs> Well, this is our first full season with her as captain. Did uh -huh. she get promoted to admiral for season five? Is that just her like upward ascent that she's going to enjoy season after season? It seems like it, yes. <laughs> so yeah. at a certain okay, point. <laughs> so season one, <laughs> season one, she was a mutineer who was sentenced to prison. Season two, she is back to being a science officer. Season three, she's second in command and then she gets demoted. And then season four, she's a captain. 
So it's got to be Admiral Season 5, right? Yeah, probably. Maybe we get Captain throughout the season, and at the end, she's promoted to Admiral. True, Um, true. But it does feel like this character, they constantly want to move her around. And so unless they're going to make some sort of radical shift to what the show is, I don't see her dropping out, you know, lower than Captain at this point. So it feels like she's on the ascent. So I don't know what Star Trek Discovery becomes at a certain point because they're not going to keep her as an admiral, like with the crew of Discovery all the time. It just gets convoluted. I could honestly see they just wrap up Discovery after five seasons and maybe we get like a spinoff with a character from Discovery or something like that. Well, speaking of spinoffs, Cam, and perhaps characters from Discovery, uh, Mary Wiseman has, has apparently departed. It's unclear. She's given interviews saying that, like, not really a spoiler. I think it's what audiences would expect, that we will see Tilly once more before the season ends. I just wonder if they are setting up another spinoff, which would be the Academy spinoff that's been long in gestation here. You know, based on the episode with, uh, maybe you were a little bit higher on it, but I just kind of thought it's like little twerps who learn to love each other by the end. I don't know, it's kind of a little trite message there, very much what you'd expect here. I just think there's an opportunity to do something much cooler if they pursue an Academy spinoff. I think I've kind of danced around my my pitch before in the podcast, but just to reiterate, like... I mean, I would just rip off the sitcom community, not necessarily in tone or jokes, but just the format in which you've got like, you know, seven, eight characters forced into like this study group and they're very different, but just they have to work with each other. And I I say, don't make it 90210. Don't make it too sentimental. Acknowledge that these 18, 19, 20 year olds, they're they're adults, but they're still learning in a very kind of uh, structured format that I think could actually work and be fun. It doesn't have to be like this mystery box going on throughout the season. Here's the kicker. Here's what I think kind of the hook is, though. Those first two seasons, maybe you kind of obscure the date, uh, very much like how they uh, do that in Marvel right now. But uh, it's just kids running around in jumpsuits with like the Starfleet Delta on. But maybe the season two finale, you reveal it's the start of the Dominion War, and you get to play within that very romanticized era of the Star Trek universe. And I'm not saying we're sending these kids to the front line. <laughs> I think it would be fun, fun experiment. It's something we haven't really seen before. But what if you have all of these, you know, like uh, experienced Starfleet officers, they need to be at the front line. What happens to the folks that need to take care of the cargo runs or being um, like manning like some sort of listening post in the outer reaches? You could have these cadets doing these kind of like more, you know, quote unquote, lower decks sorts of jobs. And, but you're still playing within kind of the universe of the Dominion War. Maybe there's kind of the ominous threat of, you know, Jem'Hadar ships showing up. Like that could be kind of my, of course, I think it's a great idea because I came up with it. But I think that could be kind of a more fun way of doing it versus what I think they were kind of hinting at based on that Star Trek Discovery episode. Yeah. And like, I think, yeah, like that could be a lot of fun. And it does raise a question, though. Does the idea of a um, you know Academy spinoff set in the 32nd century excite you with Tilly? No, it does not. What about you? Yeah, no. <laughs> there's honestly there's nothing exciting about the 32nd century. All I've learned is that in the future, it's kind of not that interesting. <laughs> it, it it seems like the world kind of sucks a little bit more. But as long as you have a spore drive, you can jump over to whatever planet you need. Otherwise, Starfleet headquarters seems like really sterile. It's just like, 
I don't know. It just it doesn't seem like a fun universe to play in versus like what we saw in the 24th century. But if you talk to so many fans, a lot of fans are saying like, you know what? It's time to go beyond the 24th century. Let's go and shoot further ahead. And then once we do, we're like, oh, maybe this is why we're so nostalgic for the 21st century. When you watch the Star Trek shows, which era would you like to live in? It doesn't matter if you're, you know, serving with Starfleet, but just which era does it feel like you'd like to live in? Like 2360s, you know, kind of, I, I think about like how Julian Bashir's dad was kind of a loser, but I, I, it gives you a hint that there are civilians living perfectly happy lives that don't involve, you know, becoming a commander in Starfleet or anything like that. Like civilians, or even just think about Jake uh, in The Visitor trying to live his life on Earth and, and doing the best he can, whether it's running a restaurant, you know, pursuing his writing career, going into astrophysics, you know, like... It seems as if there's very rich lives for civilians to leave uh, to lead in the 2360s. What what about you, Cam? I think I come down on the same one, and like a part of me really wants to say more of you know the Kirk era of Star Trek, which seems so much more like vibrant and exciting. There's always cool things going on, but at the same time, it seems like a lot of things are kind of bad. Like I don't want to be on some colony that's like overrun by you know like um flying um scrambled egg monsters or something i don't want to sure. wind up like sam kirk or something it seems like just bad things go on more often um whereas like i look at you know the earth we see in more of the tng era i'm like you know what i could happily do my own thing there <laughs> it seems pretty pretty peaceful yeah uh, before anybody writes any letters in, I, I fully realize as referencing Deep Space Nine, that's really more the 2370s, as TNG is more the 2360s. I still can't wait until we get our first Sam Kirk appearance in Strange New Worlds, because Cam, uh, take away his mustache. It's going to be the same actor playing <laughs> yeah. the inevitable uh, James T. Kirk role moving forward, right? I would have to hope so. It, do we ever see Sam Kirk fully realized? I mean, I guess... There was the kid in uh, at the start of Star Trek 2009, but he didn't have a mustache. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, uh, Cam, uh, look, uh, we do this every single year. We've got our favorite clips. And look, uh, there's so many clips to go through. We had to cull it. It's mostly us just goofing around. I'm not saying these are the most profound clips that we uh, want to share, but uh, it's us having fun. So why don't we jump into it, sir? Uh, why don't we start with this one? Um, look, I, I think everybody's going to be talking about Q going into season two of Picard. And I, I think we had a bit of a way of talking about Q uh, in the episode about why does Star Trek remake itself? Yes, we did. But it's a tough ask, I think, because Tapestry... Tyler, is it your favorite episode of TNG? I know it's up there. Yeah, I, I would put it in my top... Top five. I, I, I'll just go back to the example. I think uh, last year's birthday, it's in the middle of the pandemic, and I told my girlfriend, let's just watch Tapestry uh, as we go to sleep tonight. You know, and like that, that was kind of my go to uh, pick for Star Trek. Did you wake up next to Q? <laughs> How'd you know? <laughs> I'm so yeah. proud of that one. <laughs> hey, Tyler, what's your catchphrase? It's, uh, this is Tyler Orton, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> what a catchphrase. But, you know, speaking of catchphrases, Discovery, you know, wandered into that pool. So uh, we had a little bit of a talk about that. Why don't we listen to that clip? And you could almost swear in that moment, Burnham was flying. And 
she said at the end of the season, let's fly. Tyler, <laughs> what do we think of this new Captain catchphrase? I'm actually okay with it because it's so cheesy. I, I'm fine with it. <laughs> like, um, uh, you know, I, I still think the best one was Saru trying to imitate Pike incredibly unsuccessfully, but I can live with this. What, what about you? Let's fly. It's okay. As long as Lenny Kravitz doesn't... Wait a oh, second. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Is this tied to that Lenny Kravitz marketing? Oh, good Star God. Trek Discovery? Good God. Uh-oh. It'd be Uh-oh. great if uh, she starts doing the Who cover as well. And she and there's a uh, view screen moment next season. She's like, I don't want your war machines. <laughs> and then somebody else on the bridge exclaims, American woman. And then books like get away from me. <laughs> I guess it's stay away from me, but nonetheless, yeah. I follow you. <laughs> oh, bud, why are we writing this Star Trek Discovery season four <laughs> gold like this? <laughs> Good lord. Um, well, speaking of American women, well, let's go in a different direction and talk about British men. We've got one of our guests uh, frequently occurring on the show, one Scott Hardy. And I guess we had a bit of a disagreement with some of his picks for two of these uh, appearances here in which we were trying to create the best season of Star Trek, followed by the worst season of Star Trek. Or no, uh, I'm sorry, Scott, you are up next for 21, right? I I thought you were punishing me for Tin Man. I I, I apologize. (laughs) I apologize. you're, You're picking next, sir. I am indeed. And the only question I have is, are you Archons? No? Okay. Well, it's Return of the Archons. (laughs) Return of the Archons? Really? Okay. Okay, this fascinates me. This is his Tin Man revenge right here. (laughs) I... I okay so how I put this list together was I literally got up a whole list of every single episode in a row and I had to keep flicking back and forth for each number for each show. So if I missed a really good one that's on me. But even in my notes you next did. To it, I wrote uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you no, missed no, like continue. five. <laughs> continue. I want to hear as to why Return of the Archons deserves the list. <laughs> I don't think it does. But um <laughs> Well, <laughs> I wrote down this as a struggle, so I've obviously missed a few good ones. But, you know, in terms of the whole, like, Landru thing, over- overtaking the planet, it even gets a reference in Lower Decks, which has not been mentioned once on this list, which I still don't like. Um, so th- I suppose that's my Lower Decks revenge, is Return of the Archons. Okay, Tyler, what, um, uh, I mean, what were I, your picks for this category? The Drumhead, The Perfect Mate, Someone to Watch Over Me. E squared. I'm just just to name a few. Um, Cam, what would you have picked over um, Return of the Archons? Wasn't someone to watch over me the next slot? Uh, no. Uh, well, it, it might depend on how you're counting uh, Dark Frontier. It, it, Dark Frontier was a feature length oh. episode versus a two parter. Yeah, they split it in half on uh, IMDb, so it really messed me up. That's right. Um, yeah, so I would have gone someone to watch over me. I'm pretty sure. Or E squared, but I mean, Return to the Archons. You can't say it isn't iconic. Well, I, even when I quoted at the beginning, both of you were dumbfounded. So it can't be that iconic. <laughs> well, you know what? Someone out there is very excited to hear Archons get included. So Ben yeah. Ben Stiller, Ben Stiller yeah. is very excited because he <laughs> named his production company Red Hour after the Red Hour in Return of the Archons. So there you go. Alrighty, then. I stand well, by. It. I stand by it. 
Well, folks, uh, why don't I jump over to episode 21 here? Uh, I just think I, I need to make things come full circle. Um, I'm going to go with Return of the Archons if I'm trying to craft uh, one of the worst seasons of Star Trek. It's not because it's a terrible oh. episode. It's mostly because I was looking at the other episode 21s. They're actually... Uh, Star Trek is probably like running on all cylinders by the time they get to episode 21. The only other one that I could have thought uh considered though is if you go to tng and you're looking at season one or it's stuff like oh i don't know symbiosis like that one is just really forgettable to me the reckoning from uh ds9 is no prize either that, that's the one where um is it where like jake and uh cisco are shooting laser beams at each other by the end of it yeah and Kira also, at a certain point, is shooting laser beams as well. Just to throw in, I had I had Firstborn from the Next Generation uh, season seven, which is just an Alexander and Worf episode, which are usually snore fests for me. Uh, so, but uh, all I have to say, Tyler, is I think the fans were on my side in the last episode, so I'm not sure okay. I'm down with that choice. <laughs> the listeners are all followers of Landru. <laughs> well, if there's one thing Tyler likes talking about, it's Star Trek. If there's a second thing, it's Tyler. <laughs> and we had, I think, one of my favorite moments of the year where we were discussing the um, animation character um, styles of Lower Decks and uh, an amazing connection was made. So let's check out that clip. <laughs> Cam, you know how we've talked about how Boimler kind of looks like me? Yeah. Um, what do you think about that, uh, that Starfleet security officer that arrested her? Oh, oh, I didn't even think about that. It looks that. as if he was modeled off me, like based on like a, a picture that they found on my LinkedIn or something like that. Like I was just like, I, I, I was cracking up just through my own narcissism, of course. But um, that one gave me a laugh. Well, we know that the animation studio uh, Titmouse uh, is located in Vancouver. Have they somehow found like photos of you in their like <laughs> random street people archives and are just modeling the characters off of you? <laughs> I, I'm in the random street people archives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just walked around Vancouver, took a photo of people, you know, on Granville or just walking this around and we're like, great, we can use these for characters. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm going to do, Camp? I'm going to calculate uh, how far a walk it is from my office in uh, Vancouver to uh, Titmouse Animation. Um, let's see. Uh, if you're <laughs> on foot, if you are on foot, yeah. it is seven minutes away. Mm, so, the conspiracy. Um, I don't know. We may have something here. Yeah, okay. So maybe they've seen me around the neighborhood. It's because like, um, there's a bunch of restaurants in between that maybe I go to for lunch. Maybe some... Uh, Cam, I, the, the fact that we're even like thinking about this is uh, the narcissism. <laughs> the narcissism here. But, um, well, I, I was joking, but you're taking this very seriously. I'm so. literally calculating <laughs> walking distances. <laughs> Cam, I, I think you were wrong about that. I, I think the first thing I, I like talking about is Tyler. But you also write in one regard. I think the second thing I like talking about is Tyler, too. Right. Well, you know, speaking of Tyler, what if there was an alternate Tyler? That was another question raised in another amazing clip. Yeah, oh, totally. It's a fantastic episode that could have easily been, like, a joke. Like, here we go. Spock's got to go tea. Isn't that funny? But it actually has something to say, and... Just 
what a masterpiece of storytelling. It kind of has turned into a joke over the decades, though, because if somebody ever wants to indicate that somebody's evil on television, um, you see kind of like their twin, you know, wearing a goatee or something, whether it's like Knight Rider or Community. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, it's it's so iconic that it, its effect is, you know, those ripples have continued on into pop culture, which is a sign of why it belongs in the top 15. Yeah. Uh, Cam, I'm just saying, if you see me walking around with a goatee uh, when we hang out next time, um, you should be wary. Yeah, because he'll be nice. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, number number thirteen here on my list. My God, what a great episode! Then again, could have easily gone wrong. It could have been really like awkward. And the story behind that one was like it was kind of a nightmare to write, where it was like four people having to hammer this one out over like a Thanksgiving weekend, and you know, desperation equaled inspiration, and you got this fantastic episode. So uh, yeah, great episode. Uh, number twelve. So that does that mean the people you're dating are inspired? <laughs> Where's Mirror Universe Tyler? I need him. <laughs> He'll be like, Cam, what do you think the rest of the list should be? <laughs> I don't want to veto any of it. <laughs> now, in all fairness, Cam's not wrong, but... That, that's a pretty hilarious joke. Just <laughs> let, let's be honest. Now, um, Cam, I, look, we joke around a lot, but I think one of my favorite clips, though, is uh, we got into more of a, uh, a serious debate. We can't help make, like, funny jokes, but we're, we're talking serious about, like, one of the things that Star Trek hasn't really done well by, and, and which is, like, uh, sex and sexuality and some of the sort of ethical things uh, that come into few when you especially think about the holodeck so i know it sounds a little bit weird but uh we do take this particular topic seriously here i don't think it's particularly right personally <laughs> i think it's uh it's the person is not giving you permission exactly. to do that yes yeah. and what i would be considering is would i be okay knowing that maybe a hundred years from now like somebody would be scanning the historical record of tyler for this purpose you know like I, I that would make me uncomfortable i would not consent to that myself and i don't maybe in star trek there should be a mechanism where like people that are okay with that they i don't know you know how you can be check off the organ donor box on your driver's license maybe that's something you can check off for future generations uh, <laughs> now you know when they tackled that particular story it was the 90s different yeah. different world do you think we could ever see Star Trek do something like that again and look at it more from a, you know, modern as of today perspective? I, okay, I don't think they handled it awesome back in the 90s. And they kind of made a joke of it in Meridian uh, with the Kira's body with Quark's head deal. Yeah. And I think nowadays, I just think about how toxic people are on social media. And if you try to tackle this storyline nowadays it would just i i think you're creating more problems than you're solving <laughs> by, by trying to have a philosophical debate about this issue yeah um it would definitely be a controversial episode um and it, it would be centered on one of the aquatic zindis i believe <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean i guess sex in the holodeck can be a little awkward but you know what's not I awkward? I wouldn't know. I've never tried it, Cam. <laughs> but you know what's not awkward? 
fan casting, which we like to do a lot of on this show. And I think this year was no different. We had some real highlights in that particular category. Um, Flox is the one I do wonder about, though. I I feel as if he has kind of like more of a, a quieter life ahead than, say, Seven of Nine. Uh, j- just taking other characters out of the franchise, for example, though. I see him yeah. re- retiring with his husbands and wives and the many children and just having a, a, a chill time. Is he kind of like Bilbo Baggins? He goes out on the adventure and he just goes home. Um, hopefully Bilbo rather than Frodo, right? <laughs> I think so. I, I don't think you necessarily want to be Frodo. And I, Flox, as tormented as he was during the Zindi War arc, I don't think he was quite as tormented as Frodo. It's weird that he kept like sitting like Gollum in all the meetings, though. <laughs> Okay, if he's if he is the Frodo, who's the Golem? <laughs> uh the Golem of the ship? Sure. Uh, or the 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 series? Is it? Uh, you I, I guess I'm going with the the space Nazi. Okay, perfect, good choice. Just because of the look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. It, it, is Archer uh, Aragorn? He oh. has to be right. Um. Aragorn has a little bit of danger to him. I, I guess so. Like, I don't think there's a another choice. I think he has to be the Aragorn. I, I was, like, trying to think of someone who was maybe a little less by the book. Um, but I don't know that there's a good candidate. Plus, I think Scott Bakula would be, look amazing with, like, sweeping long hair, <laughs> flapping in the breeze. <laughs> is um, uh, <laughs> is Mayweather the, uh, the Boromir, you know, the Sean Bean of the crew in which uh, he's there for a little bit? Yeah, probably. Okay. <laughs> Although people constantly talk about Boromir as the films keep going in the books, whereas maybe uh, characters aren't talking about Mayweather later down the road that much. Is he more like Tom Bombadil? <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's the Tom Bombadil. In which he doesn't even make it into the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Travis Bombadil. <laughs> Travis Bombadil, okay, I like it. It is interesting because I, I felt very much the same way as you did growing up. And then when I go back and watch the series, I, in my most recent re- rewatch, I realized, no, he is like second on the call sheet after Patrick Stewart. And it shows they center so many episodes around him. And even in the episodes that aren't Riker episodes, he always seems to be playing like a central park, uh, not a central park, a central <laughs> park. You're, are you just uh, thinking about the Friends reunion from the other day? I almost said Central Perk in uh, every episode. (laughs) Well, Tyler, the thing about Riker is he'll be there for you. (laughs) Like he's been there before. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway. Who's the Gunther of uh, the Enterprise D? Oh, the Enterprise D. Well, uh, do we have to say Guinan? Because it's kind of the same role. Well, I'm thinking about kind of characteristically. I think it's more of Barkley, you know? Yeah. Oh, 100% it's Barkley. Yeah, because okay, okay. with Barkley, you know, there's a bit of the crush on Deanna Troy, which is kind of the Rachel and um, Gunther relationship. Yeah, I can totally see that. Makes sense. So by default, does that make Riker the Ross of the Enterprise D? Um, yeah, it probably does. Um, well, he's kind of the... Um, the more mature of the group. He's a professional. I think that actually makes sense. Now, we ha- we never really got to 
screaming Riker, where, you know, like season five, for example, he just started screaming words a lot. But um, yeah, I think he is the Ross. <laughs> Red Ross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that makes Patrick Stewart the Elliot Gould of it all. <laughs> In so many ways, but the Elliot Gould from California Split. <laughs> And it really works. It's like you need a certain amount of maturity, even when dealing with what could be trifle stories, to give them that sort of weight. Uh, Kim, so you've recently done a watch of The Sopranos. Every time they walked into the Bada Bing strip club, were you immediately thinking of uh, Deep Space Nine? Every single time, Tyler. It was like, uh, it was the same thing. Same thing, am I right? They used the same set, right? Oh, yeah. I, I'm pretty yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, now when you go back and watch <laughs> Deep Space Nine, whenever you go visit Vic Fontaine, are you going to be thinking of The Sopranos' uh, strip joint? Is Morn the poly? Like, who's the? what's the equals here? Who's the no, Morn? Morn, I think, is Georgie. Georgie was the bartender that kept getting beaten up uh, by Tony all the time. Okay, I feel like that's more early Nog. Oh, okay. Or, not Nog, sorry, not Nog, Rom. Got, okay, you know what? I think, yeah, I think Georgie is Rom. So who is more like who is kind of the barfly around the Bing? I think I think it's got to be. So is is it Silvio Morn? Hmm. Because I know Silvio is more the Cork figure, but Cork doesn't actually own um, Vic's lounge. Yeah, I feel like um, Tony might be more of the Cork, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, listeners, uh, you can feel free to. Uh, tweet at us and uh, angrily dispute our uh, Soprano fan casting here. <laughs> so that final one there that came from one of my favorite episodes of the season, it was called uh, Why the Stakes in Star Trek Matter. And uh, look, there's one little zinger that uh, we get in right at the very end of that episode. Couldn't help but include that here. So uh, look, if you're a Marvel fan, you might appreciate which is one of my you know go-to terrible, terrible jokes. Right, yeah. I think Blip they decided to own after um, Spider-Man Far From Home. So The Blip sounds I, dumb. It makes it sound more goofy yes. and silly than what it would actually be. Like, if that happened, people would be far more upset about it. <laughs> wait, wait. Are, are you saying that um, some giant space alien wearing a glove snapping his fingers isn't goofy and silly? These are serious, serious stakes, Tyler. Okay, okay. <laughs> very serious uh, i take your point though and you know i think that's the reason though you know this stakes issue is that some franchises don't get that word of mouth look at stuff like these new godzilla movies or transformers movies people don't really talk about the stakes of those movies whatsoever and their end of the world stuff they care about these weird character decisions that people have to make in say marvel movies or star wars stuff the, the ant-man movies are, are kind of refreshing though because the stakes are just naturally smaller <laughs> <laughs> zing well i think on that note <laughs> so those clips sort of sum up some of the silliness we had on the show but not all of the silliness makes it to air there's also the annual blooper reel which i always enjoy putting together and actually like to listen to you know throughout the year just to amuse myself and now you guys get to hear them too we have the anomaly episode two. We have choose your pain episode three, and then we have all is possible episode four. We'll take them one by one, and then I, I'll, I'll kick it off here. Like so far, oh, I, was, I feel sorry, Tyler. It was choose to live. Did I say choose your pain? 
Yeah, yeah, that's from season one. <laughs> okay, that's uh, uh, save that for the blooper pile. You have kicked off those first episodes with the Zindi, the Expanse. You're like, oh my god, we are sailing into a war. What could happen? We follow up the Expanse, which is the second episode of the season, with extinction. Or sorry, is that right? No. Wait, what? Leave this. No, in. I made a mistake. I'm gonna rephrase this. Okay, I, no, I leave this in, Cam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this isn't the bloopers. Um, okay. <laughs> Okay. I disagree with you wholeheartedly oh, about uh, having um, part two below part one. I really think part two was much stronger. You have the war fighting off uh, Jem'Hadar soldier after Jem'Hadar. <laughs> you have. <laughs> and you have war fighting off Jem'Hadar shoulder. <laughs> Now you've jinxed yourself. <laughs> if you think sex in the holodeck is fun, you know what's even more fun? Fan casting. And we did a lot of that this Cam, year. I, I think we decided that it wasn't necessarily. <laughs> did we? I don't remember. Fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I, maybe maybe save that for next year's bloopers. Okay. Or even this year's even this year's bloopers. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I don't know how to seg from Sex in the Holodeck to Fancast. Okay. Um, 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 okay. Overall, you know, I think uh, Star F- <laughs> I think um, Starstruck. Uh, maybe let's edit that out for children. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> save that for uh, the bloopers. Yeah. It's weird because we've been sitting and waiting for this film for so long now. That it was just so weird actually just seeing it. Quite the experience, I have to say. But okay, my, my top line thoughts. Tyler, are you okay? Uh, I dropped my phone, sorry. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, it always moves me back to a couple years ago when uh, I think it was me. I could not pronounce Rolaren. And it was uh, just watching us uh, be idiots. Uh, th- that's always a highlight for me every year of uh, subspace transmissions. Oh, no, that was me who couldn't pronounce Rolaren. <laughs> but then didn't I try to pronounce it for you and then I couldn't pronounce it? Oh, that's possible. But I know there yeah. was like an extended section. Uh, who knows what year it was now, but I just kept stumbling over it over and over again. There was also yeah. me trying to get the word symbiont across that that didn't work either. <laughs> There's always 2022 to look forward to your pronunciations. With absolute candor. (laughs) (laughs) You know, okay, so when I was listening to um, uh, one of the episodes that we recorded this past year, uh, uh, you did pronounce absolute candor correctly. And I think it was the one time you did. And it was interesting because I I had not been berating you earlier on in the episode. You did pronounce it candor, not candor, as you are so fond of. Um, Cam, just as we wrap up here, though, um, I, I'll, I'll go first because I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But is there a favorite episode of Subspace that you recorded this year? I, I will tell you this. I, after I was going through this, you know, past couple episodes, it was the um, is Picard meant to be binge watched episode in which we kind of break down why the series didn't work for us, but why it was so much more frustrating to watch it week to week. But when we binge watched it. A lot of the stuff that was hanging over our heads, it just it kind of like 
glided over us, you know, kind of like water off a duck's back. Because I think what the problem was is that we were ascribing so much meaning onto a series that ultimately wasn't as meaningful as maybe the the producers thought it was going to be. And so if you just binge watch it, you don't really have to think too hard about it. I, I found it to be a perfectly watchable show, not one that I thought did any honor or service to Picard, but at least concluded with that data moment that we liked. I just, I, I hope that they kind of learned some lessons going into season two, but it seems as if there's been like a, a quite the cull of writers. So who knows if they did, we're going to have a brand new showrunner. Don't know how many writers beyond that are sticking around, but I, I think season two will strike a very different tone. That was a really fun episode to do. And I remember being genuinely nervous about it when, you know, we have our kind of list of pitches for episodes. We decide we were going to do it. And I was sitting down to do my rewatch of Picard. And I did not race out and buy the Blu-ray of Picard the way I had, you know, the first couple seasons of Discovery or Lower Decks I would later. Um, Picard, I'd kind of been like, eh, maybe later. And I ended up picking it up. And I was kind of hesitant because I just thought, oh, my God, how do we do this episode where it's not just a downer fest? because I really had not been into Picard. And I think we found some interesting angles to look at the show that even if it didn't work for us across the board, there was interesting things to talk about. And I was genuinely concerned that that would not be the case. And um, <laughs> maybe it's telling we haven't done a Star Trek Discovery Season 3 <laughs> revisit yet. <laughs> well, you know, I did rewatch all of it when we were doing our pre Season 3 premiere episode, you know? And it... <laughs> It was a different experience than watching Picard and, and more like I could say I more or less enjoyed Picard season one with taking that burden and those shackles off of me, knowing that I was going to have to record a podcast every night. Um, I didn't necessarily feel that way about season three discovery. It just it exposed so much more of the flaws of season three discovery. So I and I guess that's why, like, do people really want to listen to us like kind of kick a show with, that we don't really like, but maybe they do like. And so that's why I'm happy that we've kind of done this new format where why don't we watch, you know, like three or four episodes of Discovery and then review those as kind of pods. And that's what we'll be coming back with. Uh, first episode of 2022, we'll be reviewing, I think like five or six, or maybe four or five episodes of Discovery all in a row, which um, I think that show maybe lends itself to, it, it can be kind of that like, lightning quick let's not dwell let's not spend an entire hour talking about a 45 minute show why don't we spend 12 minutes on each episode i think that kind of works better it definitely does and if you know if the show drastically improved i would feel differently but in its current form i think this is working out pretty decently um as for a subspace episode that i really enjoyed this year i'm going to kind of cheat and say there was two that really jump out, and it was the drafting the best and worst seasons of Star Trek. I had an absolute blast with this, and you know, you heard some clips of us talking about Archons in the uh, Eclipse section of this episode, but like, I had a great time, and if I had to pick one that was more fun, I will always side with the worst, because to me, <laughs> we get to talk about the greatest episodes of Star Trek all the time. You know, City on the Edge or Tapestry, all these episodes come up a lot on the show, but when we did the worst, we got to suddenly like bring up episodes we barely ever mention. And like to me, that was a lot of fun. And we just had a really goofy time like looking at these lists of just horrific Star Trek episodes and determining how to make the worst season ever. I, I thought that was so much fun. 
Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll throw one more out there. Uh, why the stakes in Star Trek matter and the biggest philosophical debates. Yeah, I guess I threw out two, but uh, those are kind of the uh, the other two fun ones, which they're not you know, kind of like bummers of episodes. It's us having a lot of fun talking about like um, the, the universe of Star Trek and things that don't necessarily make sense and, and how we can kind of reconcile those in our brains. And yeah, look, I it's look. I, I know we've been kind of like crapping on uh, Discovery a lot <laughs> in our year-end review, but we wouldn't be devoting all this time to doing, you know, 51 weeks a year of Star Trek podcasting if we didn't get some sort of enjoyment out of dissecting what this universe is and, and what it means. Yeah, and it's not like we're saying Discovery is a horrible show. Um, I think it's more like we're frustrated because it so often is mediocre. Uh, I'm not the uh, one-star brigade bombing no. it on Letterboxd or not on Letterboxd, but on IMDb or anything like that. It's just, it's a show that I can see the potential. That's what's frustrating to me. But um, I also just genuinely enjoyed doing some episode reviews this year, and as well as the films, doing things like Star Trek VI, talking about that, or, um, you know, the Galileo 7, just sort of these, um, you know, take this movie or episode and put it under the microscope for an episode. I genuinely find those really entertaining, especially with like a Galileo 7, where it's not an episode we get to mention that often on the podcast. Star Trek VI, Galileo 7, 7 of 9, Cam. Uh, one last spin-off question for you. If we wrap up Picard after three seasons, what do you think about the potential of just like a Seven of Nine spin-off? I'm not saying she's in the Fenris Rangers necessarily. I'm not saying she's necessarily joining Starfleet, but personally, I think that's the character who has the biggest marketable spin-off potential that exists right now. I agree, and it wouldn't shock me at all if they're looking at that post-Picard, because Patrick Stewart's only going to do his three seasons, but... If you've got Jerry Ryan and she's interested in doing more with that character, they'd be insane not to do it. Also, Jerry Ryan is a uh, Hollywood actress in her early 50s. Not often are, and it's just the state of Hollywood, I, I'm not praising it, I, I'm just saying not often are women in their 50s given the opportunity to headline their own series. You know, she would be the main star of that. So I, I think, I think she would into it i like i think she genuinely likes the character and like you can just tell whenever she's at the conventions like she's enjoying being part of this community or at least um her uh bank account is yeah and i would also imagine getting rid of the cat suit putting her in you know the wardrobe she has on picard i'm sure that actually makes a big difference for her deciding to continue to want to do it so yeah i could see that um just lastly i wanted to just mention too for we didn't include it up front uh, when we were talking about what we were looking forward to in 2022 but i just want to um nod towards the director's cut on 4k of star trek the, the motion picture that is one of the things i'm the most excited about in this upcoming year so i'm just counting down to that yeah i'm kind of annoyed that like we have the director's cut coming out i can't imagine I won't pick it up, but then we also have kind of the what the first four movies on 4K in a box set, and it doesn't include the director's cut, and so I'm just like, how much double dipping I'm gonna have to do? I'm not doing it just yet because is not is it not going to cost about eighty bucks to get the uh, that box set right now, Cam? I think I paid about that, yeah, seventy five yeah. or eighty, yeah. It's uh, I'll I'll wait for it to maybe drop down Boxing Day 2022, maybe. Yeah, and I think this year we'll have the, uh, what is it, five, six, and Generations will be coming out. Um, we could also maybe get the, the other films as well by the end of the year. I would think maybe like six months apart or something. Yeah, I've got a, a, the um, Kelvinverse. Like, I've got those ones on 4K. I just, I, I guess I'll have to re 
or build up the other ones moving forward. It's just going to be annoying me if like they put uh, the only way to get Nemesis on, on 4K is if you buy all the Kellenverse ones too, which I already own. I'm just like, really? Okay, fine. <laughs> no, they're not doing that. They're that was it. The third set is um, First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. Well, then they'll put all the short treks in 4K only on the uh, Kelvinverse uh, box set then. I wouldn't put it past them. So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Absolutely nothing, Cam. <laughs> we are taking the week off. It's the only time that we ever do this all. You guys, you listeners, like uh, we, we give you 51 weeks a year. That's not too bad. All we ask is you go and give us five stars on whatever podcatcher you listen to. It's free. Just give us five stars. That helps more people find the show. It, it makes us show up in more of the search results. It's good for the algorithm. That's Maybe that's your Christmas gift to us this year. But when we do return in a few weeks, uh, we will be catching up on Star Trek Discovery. Um, look, uh, it, we've been frustrated by the season so far, but I actually like doing these reviews all in kind of like clusters as well. It just helps us go through it as opposed to kind of like really dragging out the episode length just to talk about... Here's all the little nitpicks we have. Like, this is kind of a, a funner format for us, I think. It also lets us track the ongoing arc in a more concise way versus spending a whole episode being like, well, what do you think is going to happen next time? I know. <laughs> this way we get to actually cover four episodes worth, so or three episodes, whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V is in, V'ger in 4K, Smith. You can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N, as in Noonien Soong will get his Paramount Plus streaming movie in no time. <laughs> okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Star Trek. Transfer complete.